Welcome to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast with me, your host, Emily Rose, where we take a subversive look at all the celebrity gossip you want and some you never knew you needed. We'll take a deep dive into the hidden meanings of what's really going on in the world of pop culture, because here we contain multitudes and read between the lines. Join me. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast. I'm your host, Emily Rose. So I have a very cool episode today for you guys. I talk a lot about PR couples and just couples in general, and I love to do deep dives. And I always try to pull up as many receipts as I can. I want to leave no stone unturned. And today I have someone who specializes in receipts. (laughs) So I have Dr. DT Paul as my guest. She is a researcher that specializes in dating and relationships. So specifically online relationships, basically modern relationships, because uh, as the data has shown, most of it's online. And we have this whole conversation about what everyone is actually up to in their dating life. So the way that language affects how we view relationships, how has intimacy changed with online dating? What's Gen Z's biggest dating fear, which actually surprised me and kind of shocked me. And because a lot of her focus is on Gen Z, I got to ask a pressing question about the science of how real is euphoria in terms of How much sex, drugs, and rock and roll are Gen Z participating in versus what we see on TV? And is that glamorized? How real is that? So we get into all of that. And she's written an incredible book on it called The Current Collegiate Hookup Culture. All of her information will be in the episode description. But before we get into that, if you've been listening to the podcast and you're liking what you hear, hit me with a five-star review. Please follow the podcast. Give me a follow on Instagram. Everything is, it's become a whole thing. And so without further ado, let's get into today's episode. All right. And we're back with Dr. D.T. Paul, dating and relationships researcher and professor and author of The Current Collegiate Hookup Culture. D.T., how are you? I'm doing so good, Emily. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, my God. It's so nice to have you. I was so excited for this interview because you're here to basically answer all the burning questions that I have. And I try to turn over my mind, but you've actually done the legwork. You've actually done the research behind what's really going on in hookup culture. What's up with Gen Z. Yeah, I I mean, you can just uh, attribute it to my morbid curiosity of what is happening with the younger people. And uh, I get more curious as I'm aware of the fact that I'm getting really old right now, like uh, 2000, the year 2000 seems to be only 10 years before, but I refuse to believe it's 21 years ago. So this is my way of staying relevant. And in the course of doing that, I found out some really cool insights about Gen Z and, and how they are thinking about intimacy, how they're navigating their sexuality. So I'm looking forward to dissecting all of that with you today. That's so it's so interesting. Um, I mean, I, I, that was gonna be my next question is have have you always had this interest in kind of what's going on in the zeitgeist in terms of dating and relationships? How did you get started with this? Yeah, I mean, and you know, for the listeners, me and Emily were having a conversation about how your parents have a research background. And and Emily, if you've seen your parents navigate research, it's always one question leading to the next. So when you are launching a study, um, for example, I started my uh, research work in the area of 
social media and friendships where I wanted to see if you see someone's profile before you meet them versus after you meet them. In other words, if you stalk somebody on Instagram and then you meet them versus if you meet them and then stalk their Instagram, like how does that affect the relationship that you will form with them? And that research led me to the area of online dating because that's one area where you always meet the profile before the person. And when I was studying online dating, that's when I kept hearing the term that Tinder, the biggest player in the online dating industry, is being used as a hookup app. Now, I don't know what students mean by hookup because they use hookup in so many different ways. For example, my students have told me, oh, I just uh, like, thank you for hooking me up with this person. I'm like, and then they, they also say, oh, I hooked up with this person in the dorm room. And I'm like, is this the same thing? Like, what is <laughs> happening either either it's not what i think it is or they're just having rabbit sex everywhere so i at first i wanted to know what the heck a hookup hookup is and mm-hmm. then how is tinder this new player comparatively new player in 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 the industry how is that transforming this already dominant hookup culture that's present in college campuses fascinating i mean and that is so interesting because even for like, you know, I'm in the millennial generation, even for us, when we say hookups, it could mean any range of things. And, and I I think about how language influences behavior and vice versa. So for example, I'm Quebecois and we have this word that doesn't have a English translation, fréquentation. And I mean, directly translates to frequenting, but it doesn't sound right in English. And it's sort of between hooking up and dating. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. and I think about how the fact that we don't quite have that word, like, it's like, kind of like we're seeing each other, but almost a bit lighter than that. Yeah. It's interesting to me how, yeah, like just thinking of the ways that Gen Z would use it, because all I really have to go by is what I see on TikTok, what I see on Euphoria. I'm like, wh- what's, what's really going on uh, on the ground? Um, And and I'm so glad that you brought up the topic of like language influencing um, the way we think about things that is and and we we talk about this in the Sapir Whorf hypothesis, like taking it into interpersonal communication where your language will affect the way you view the world. And fortunately or unfortunately, there are so many different words, not unfortunately, it's just a constraint of English as a language where we just haven't, we don't have words uh, for things that we do, like for example, in 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 Japanese, there is this term called kuchisabishi, which means that you have a your your mouth is bored, which roughly translates to like why we eat when we are bored, and and we do that. But the fact that we don't have a term in English makes it seem like. I am the weird one. Um, well, no, that weird thing that you do, other cultures are doing it and it's normal for them. So in the same way, uh, if you think about the landscape of relationships, yes, we have things like dating, we have things like marriage, because they are the ter- these are the terms that were coined by generations before us. Like, can you imagine the first person who proposed the institution of marriage? Like, that is a weird institution. Like, okay, you and me, we love each other. Now we just have to get uh, it recorded by the government. Like, that's a weird thing. <laughs> well, I mean, you're you're the expert on this. But when I think of the origins of marriage, I just think of property transfer, you know, and then at some point. <laughs> but it's, it's a weird thing to think about. But like now it's become 
Oh, yeah. Like marriage is marriage, right? I mean, because we have spent years and years living it, normalizing it, talking about it. In the same way, we are at a precipice of uh, relationship transformation, thanks to technology, thanks to sexual freedom, thanks to different ways of thinking about relationships, that we are in this confused state of mind where, like you said, uh, I would love that word, by the way, from like, you know, to, to transfer it from Quebec, Quebecian to uh, <laughs> English, because, yeah, like we are, we are talking about different stages of relationships, like before it was meeting, dating, courtship, marriage, divorce or not marriage, whatever. But now it's like meeting what you just said, uh, hanging out, hooking up, situationships. Mm -hmm. It's like different figments of a relationship and how it mutates like oh my god I mean we have so many different mutations of the COVID virus like can we not cut some slack and give some mutations to relationships as well like it's not a big it's not <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I I don't know why there's always there's always seems to be pushed back towards whatever the new slang is and I just think about like you know there's a reason why we don't speak like Shakespearean English and it's because you know language is always evolving and you know when you talked about empowerment I think about Gen Z and how they use the words like slut and bimbo. And I think it's really, I, I'm, I kind of feel like the kooky aunt on TikTok. I'm like, what are you kids up to? Is so interesting. <laughs> but they That's see the first thing that, that you do, like for us to get canceled, where I'm like, Ooh, I, I want to know what you're doing. Like let me into, <laughs> into this like culture where I clearly do not belong. So, um, I mean, and, and, and that's right. Like, you know, these are the, the terms that they use are so unique, uh, but they're making their own reality. We are, we are, we are creating our own reality through the words that we use and the labels that we use yeah and well I've noticed for bimbo and so they use that the terms bimbo and slut they use it in a super empowering way and it's sort of this like if you take sort of that Paris Hilton imagery but you make them kind of like an, an empowered feminist activist yeah who's fighting against capitalism it's so cool and <laughs> yeah and yeah. it also depends on like who's calling you a slut or who's calling you a bitch yeah. right I mean yeah yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very in-group, out-group thing. Like, you know, my friends, so my, my, my students tell me that if, you, if you're if you really good friends, like, that's when you use the word bitch. Uh, uh, but if you're, if you're like, kind of okay friends, you use hi, love, etc. I'm like, this is, this is beautiful. I love it. So uh, the more, but it all goes back to the, the amount of risk or the amount of uh, uh, you know, letting go of control uh, that way, or in other words, being vulnerable with the other person that, okay, if this person is calling me a slut or a bitch, I know that they're not using it literally the way it was supposed to be used. It's a, it's a term of endearment and that all, everything goes back to trust and vulnerability. Yeah. It's so cool how you've taken those observations and quantified them. I, I want to get into talking about dating apps because that really seems to be you know, the driving force behind dating life. And, you know, speaking of feeling old, like I am in my thirties and I just, I remember very well, it seems like yesterday where dating apps were this weird thing that losers did, <laughs> whether that's true or not. You know, I remember trying to destigmatize them back in the day and being like, my brother met his wife on a dating app. It's not that weird. It's great, you know, for people. And now it's like, of course they met on a dating app. 
Yeah, so, now it's like weird to not meet on a dating. I'm like, how how feral do you have to be to just like <laughs> like this person without knowing their height and weight and their yeah. school affiliation? Like that's that's just that's crazy. Well, yeah. Now, like now, when people ask me how I met my boyfriend, I'm like, how do you think we met? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you think I just bumped into him on the street? I mean, maybe that works. <laughs> maybe that works for some people. If if that happened for you, that's great. But I mean, I was wondering, are dating apps really the most popular venue for hookups for all generations, for the younger generation? So the the membership on hookups, uh, the membership on dating apps have increased exponentially. So according to a very recent Pew Research study, 48% of 18 to 24 year olds have at least one uh, dating app profile. So that just goes to show that whether you use it or not, you're there, right? It's almost like the Amazon Prime of relationships, like you have it. Whether you use it for hookups or not, that's a different story. So one of the questions that I asked students who did report meeting their hookup partners through dating apps i asked them did you meet up this or did you link up with this person with the pure intention of hooking up with them and that was always not the case so they're not going to these i mean tinder or or hinge or bumble thinking oh i want some sex let me just get a bang out of this uh, it's mostly the least common denominator of this relationship that okay i i know this person we want to we want to do something like you know a, something sexual uh because the the expectation of a dating app is you're not just there to make friends but you're just there to make friends plus do something sexual with them so maybe thirst trap maybe sexed maybe like get together do upper body stuff um and get some validation get over get a breakup and that's exactly right like you know there are so many different motivations that are intertwined with your use of dating apps and there's one one i wouldn't call it insight but i always check uh my data and i mean i i i launch research studies by having a conversation with students and that helps me understand the gap that is in existing literature and then after i've done my studies i always take it back to my students and say hey this is what i found out what do you think about it and in the same way i said you know what like meeting on dating apps is it's increasing in terms of meeting your hookup partners on dating apps like what do you think about that um they said that you know i'd rather meet somebody on dating apps in if, if i'm in a casual mentality than meeting somebody through my friends because if i am fooling around with a friend's friend and if things don't work out then i lose that friend versus in a dating app since i have nobody in common with this person even if it fails it's low stakes so for gen z friendships and and, and belongingness is much more important than um just being horny <laughs> at this point like you know yeah. that's the, the form of protection yeah, it's all protection, and and they're also like think about us. I mean, yeah, we 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 talk about big game of like how Gen Z is different, etc. But we're all we all remember being that 18, 20 year old who's in college who ha who's navigating so many different changes in your lives. Like you want a center, you want you want that little friend circle that you have, uh, and. And you don't want to mess that up. You don't want, you to, don't want to make it weird and start dating yeah. someone that your friend, if you can avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that you say, you know, it's a form of maybe being a bit more removed. So you're not, you know, having this weird entangled, you know, um, 
mix within your social circle and kind of messing things up because you know, for me, I was in a very small town for most of my twenties, um, just a couple thousand people. So dating apps are a nightmare because it's going to be your, uh, your ex, your ex, your neighbor, and your coworker are the first three people you'll see on there. <laughs> and then a bunch of guys, the people, they could be the same people. <laughs> your ex- is, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the rest is like guys just showing like a photo of their truck and like, not their face. It's like, That's a- <laughs> not their fish. I mean, I was going to, well, like, no, no, not their face. Oh, no, there's a fish. There's a fish yeah. and a truck. It's like, yeah, yeah I, can... I almost thought for a second that you're using truck as a euphemism. <laughs> oh, no, not even like a dick pic. Like, I mean, literally just a close up. Like, this is my truck. There's no yeah. human in it. I just want to show you that this is my vehicle and my selling point. So it's, it's an indication for me of like, you know, once we tell, once we talk about the selling features of your vehicle, yes, like, we're not going to have much more to talk about. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> but so so I I moved from there where I couldn't really date online um because that that pool of about 15 people didn't really appeal to me. And so then I moved to a city and I I've only had positive experiences on dating apps and I don't know if that's more of an outlier because on when you go online people love to write all these articles of like these are the 50 horror stories of dating. Like, do you hear more kind of positive stories, negative stories? What's your, what's the kind of consensus on that? And you bring up a really good point. And, and I always try to bring this back um, to, to recognize where, where people are coming from, because it depends on where you're at. So in terms of, in terms of you as a person, you know, what, what you were talking about is that my, my pool was so small to begin with. I'm from like rural Canada. Uh, I don't have like I have 15 partners uh, and, and, and I like 0.75 of them. Like, what do I do? Do I settle with that? So in a way you, I don't want to call you marginalized, but you don't have the privilege of having an infinite pool of people. In the same way, I was also an international student in the United States and I didn't know the American culture, right? So like I had to resort to dating apps to understand what the dating culture looked like. Like, how do you even talk to somebody from America, right? So that became a learning tool for me. For you, it became a socialization tool. And we're talking about, uh, here's a good word. We're talking about specialized audiences. We're talking about lean markets. In the same way, what happens to those people who do not, who, who are not the conventional audience that one thinks about? It's bad when you know that you are a disabled partner across the board, right? Like you have a big dating pool to begin with face-to-face and you have the same dating pool online. But if you are an international student, if you are from a rural town, if you are LGBTQ, if you are neurodivergent, if you have uh, a special physical condition that you're working with, you don't have the privilege of just going out there and meeting people and people finding you desirable and you strike up a chord and you have a relationship. What happens to those people? That is where dating apps become very advantageous for specialized audiences who might not have a big dating pool to begin with and who might have to use some filters to find their desirable partners. For them, dating pool is does have exponential benefits and that's where your narrative is coming from because I too had a positive relationship on dating apps because I got what I wanted from it. I was not looking for a relationship. I was I looked at it as a as a socialization learning tool. I'm like, okay, 
let me see how you go on a date and and it served its purpose and that's a really good point you know and uh, talking about how it benefits people of different access and different abilities is it's a really good point and even beyond that for me I prefer the company of people that like to live a more quiet life. Mm-hmm. So I'll go out, you know, I'll party every now and again, but like generally day to day, uh, I'm on the couch yeah. <laughs> hanging out. Oh my God. Living quietly. Like, wouldn't that be a and- dream to just like, right? I mean, I, I get so pissed off when people say, what do you like to do? Hiking. And I'm like, I don't like hiking. I want to be on TikTok watching. It's become a whole thing for hours on end. <laughs> Shameless plug right there. Like I just, I just want a vibe. I just want. I just want. Like, can we just be in each other's company and just stay quiet? Like that's that's my dream relationship. Like let's let's do that instead of just doing small talk. That's that's not the vibe. It's so funny you say that because that was one of my boyfriend's biggest complaints. He's like a city boy, like through and through. Yeah. He, his biggest obsession is sneakers. He wants to keep them nice and pristine. He's like, do I have to pretend I like hiking to be on dating apps? Like when, before we met each other, he's like, everyone seems to want to go camping and hike. Yeah. And and you know, that's, that is that is changing because I, I do want to talk about this because when we were talking about Gen Z and millennials, I was just reading this article today um, where Gen Z, the 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 generation of Gen Z are what you call digital natives and millennials like us, we are digital immigrants. So we immigrated from an offline world to an online world. And when we got this online tool, we just went feral, right? I mean, we wanted to put everything and anything online and we wanted to show our best selves possible. We were unwell with we our just, Facebook albums. We were what we were putting out there. And I'm like, Facebook, why are you re-traumatizing me? The only reason I go to therapy is because Facebook memories. I'm like, I cannot believe I put this out in the universe as a status update. Like the, the, or like the, the album's called like the nights, the nights will never remember with the people we can't forget. And it's like 90 blurry photos. Oh my gosh. Like I, I want to forget about that. And Facebook is like, here, memories. And I'm like, no, Facebook, no. <laughs> there should be read the room just read the room read the damn room facebook uh, but like we didn't know what we were doing right and that's why you know you we see like this fatigue with perfectionism now with gen z they grew up with that that's their factory setting like they, it can phase them right like what we are with our parents and facebook gen z is with us with everything they're like Millennials, like you're stunting and fronting about hiking and and looking good with your salads on Instagram, it's not going to fly. We are going to make depression cool. We are going to make... (laughs) It's incredible. Hanging on TikTok cool. So it's all about authenticity. It's all about like merging the, the gap between your online and offline selves where if you have to live online, might as well portray whatever it is that you're doing offline. So that that level of authenticity is coming back, um, and 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 Gen Z is catching up to that, um, where their portrayal of themselves on online dating apps could be very different. I haven't studied it, but I can only imagine going off of their portrayal of themselves on social media. Um, yeah that their portrayal of themselves on online dating apps is much more closer to who they are as a person. So they might, they are more likely to say, listen, I'm just going to be on TikTok and my Cheetos versus, uh, versus a millennial who still is writing, I'm going hiking at 37. I'm like, Brad, no, <laughs> you're not, you're not. <laughs> yeah. I, I, as you're talking, like, I'm just kind of having this thought where it's like, it's as if 
millennials as a generation, we've kind of channeled our existential angst and our anxiety into portraying this perfectionism, which we are kind of slowly moving away. It feels like kind of more just during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like, as if we channeled that into trying to look like everything's great and we've got our latte with our latte art and we, you know, we have desk goals or whatever, like that girl aesthetic with our workstation, our kitchen, and then Gen Z's anxiety and their angst, they channel it into like sharing everything and being like, yep, I'm, I'm anxious and depressed. Let's make morbid jokes about it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, and you know what, I I, I would also want to give because I'm a millennial as well. I want, I want to cut some slack for us as well, because our behaviors on social media is highly affected by what we see on social media, what's getting more likes on social media. Um, And when we were growing up, the thing that got us cloud was Kim Kardashian-ness, right? I mean, looking impeccable and and beautiful online. So that's what we followed. Oh, I go so far the other way where I think we're the greatest generation because (laughs) we're the last generation to ever know life before technology, as well as knowing like life with technology. And I think of us as this generation that was fully prepared for a world that didn't exist. Like we were built up to being like, you have to go in, you can't have tattoos, you won't get a job, you have to look perfect. You know, we were prepared for a world um, that boomers, you know, explained to us, this is how it's going to be. Then they kind of ruined everything (laughs) to sum it up, you know, very crudely. Uh, They kind of tanked the economy and the environment. And then we got there and there there was none of that. There was just a bunch of, you know, recessions and, uh, you know, a a bit of a crumbling world. And we just had to roll with that as we were coming into our adulthood. So I think, uh, I think that that's what compels me to want to check in on Gen Z is because there was such an obsession with hating on millennials. We're lazy. We're this, we're that. I didn't ever see that any of that in reality. And so that's why I like to be on TikTok and be like, oh, this is what you guys are actually up to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I I do want to like, you know, bring back millennial, not pride, but like at least cut, <laughs> cut us some slack. Like don't slander us. We are not asking us, you to be like proud of us, but just like cut us some slack. We had a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. And also I'm like, sorry, I like Harry Potter. Yeah. You uh... know, or <laughs> like well I mean you know before all the JK Rowling uh, stuff JK Rowling but- just like stay quiet like I mean I really want to <laughs> I really want to represent Club Slytherin but like it's getting so hard so anyone who's listened to this podcast unfortunately has had to hear me go on and on about euphoria because I'm I'm fascinated and I see this world and I wonder how much of it is rooted in reality so I'm wondering are college students like hooking up with, are they partying? Are they living this like sparkly drugged out existence? Or is that just kind of a glamorized media portrayal? It is an over exaggeration of what reality is. So in this research study, I asked them about their drug use as well as their alcohol use. And the drug use was higher for men compared to women, which also interfered with their experience of sexual satisfaction and and regret for men. For women, not so much. So 20% 20% out of like out of 100% students only 20% said that they were on drugs and not just like not even higher order drugs like we're talking about weed um so they're not snorting cocaine and like having sex with a bunch of randoms in in a purple haze like euphoria shows that's a complete over exaggeration and in terms of hooking up it's so much more chill 
than what we have been programmed to believe. And this is not just a euphoria thing. This is a media trope. So if you think about any college uh, life based movie or show or even high school, they'll always show you parties. They'll always show kids drinking and then like uh, using alcohol as liquid courage to tap into that part of their identity where they are becoming sexually liberal. That's not the case in terms of when they report about their last hookup. So I'll just read you two excerpts that I found out. One of them, like we talk about, matches what we have been fed on euphoria. So for example, one student said, literally have no clue who this guy is other than he added me on Snap after. We were both drunk and he started dancing with me. And after we started dancing, we hooked up. So that kind of matches with what we have been taught to believe that, you know, it's, you know, it happens at parties, they dance and they just hooked up and they, and they forget about it. But there is also an alternate side to it where it's so much more chill. So this is another one where this student said, just texted and asked if I wanted to hang out. It was the weekend. So I said, yeah, and we met up. I picked him up from his work and we got dinner. Then we went and smoked. And after that, we hooked up and I took him back home afterwards. Like, how chill is that? Like, that's just a normal hangout session with a little bit of weed and a little bit of sex. And and that's what they have been doing, right? And And it's not like they have been hooking up and it's just a one-time thing and they forget about this person and they create emotional distance. On the contrary, they're hooking up with the same person once every month or once every three to five weeks and they're still in touch with their hookup partners. 47% of them are in touch with their hookup partners. 75% of them were romantically interested in their hookup partners. So it's, it's not so much as a meaningless sexual encounter where you're just satisfying your bodily needs. It's like you said, you know, in, in Quebecian, it's, it's somewhere between uh, a friendship or a friends with benefits and, and, a, and a relationship, situationship-ish. Uh, that's the vibe that they're giving and, 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 and they're not, not a lot into just meaningless random hookups with five different people just because they have to rake up their numbers. That's so cool. You know, we can talk about this is what's being portrayed or this is what we think reality is. But when you put numbers to it, it really illustrates what's actually going on. It, it's interesting to see the prevalence of situationships, I guess you could say. Yeah. And I guess I wonder if them being so online helps facilitate that. Like if you're living kind of in a world more where you're just always texting and so it's not a big deal to just fire off a text to your hookup. I, I don't know. How do you think that also plays into their level of commitment? How much of Gen Z would you say has reported looking for deeper commitments, real relationships? So Gen Z, the trend shows that they look for meaningful relationships. And those meaningful relationships may be romantic, may be friendship-based, but they have to be meaningful. They, they're looking for slow dating. That's, the, that's another trend that we are seeing. Casual sex has become the mom genes of relationships. It really has. Like they're, they're not into just going out there and like having sex with a bunch of people. If you look at the, the um, what do you call the influencers in the Gen Z environment or, or younger millennials, a lot of them are in committed relationships and that's in vogue. But they're also using technology to bolster that side of their committed relationships uh, and integrating their technology behaviors to progress relationships. So for example, Snapchatting is 
high in Gen Z's roster. A lot of them sexed also, but though m- women are much less sexually liberal than men is what I have to tell. They're less likely to watch porn. They're less likely to masturbate. They have more casual, the, the attitudes that they have toward casual sex is much more conservative than men. And straight women, not just like, you know, gay and lesbian women, straight women are the most sexually conservative. And that trend is not there among men. So like gay men, bisexual men, straight men have comparable levels of sexual, sexually permissive attitudes and behaviors. But in terms of females, somehow straight females are the most conservative in terms of sexual behaviors and sexual attitudes. And they're also less likely to have higher sexual satisfaction from their hookups. So that could be a reason why they're they're not looking for like just casual sex because the payoff is low. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that makes sense too. And also from a safety perspective, if you're worried about getting murdered on a date, like it's not a, it's not a super sexy vibe. Well, the like- thing is, you know what, they're not, they're not, so concerned about getting murdered uh so much so as getting catfished (laughs) (laughs) that's what they're they're worried about so when you say getting catfished would that mean just that the person doesn't exactly look like their photos or is it that it's a completely different person both so i asked them um the first question that i asked them is out of all the hookups that you've had where have you met a majority of your partners did you meet them through school did you meet them through work did you meet them through parties or did you meet them through dating apps and if they said that majority of their partners came from dating apps so i said okay what are the perceived benefits of meeting your partners through this and what are the perceived risks for perceived benefits they said it's straight to the point it's so convenient uh you don't have and and it's clear it's unambiguous compared to like you know you meet somebody at a party and you don't really know if you're like vibing so there could be non-consensual touching but in a dating app because the you're primed to do something sexual and you know that you're attracted to this person so it becomes more clear but what they are worried about is the fact that what they see is probably not what they're going to get and catfish does not just looks-wise catfishing, but it's also personality-wise catfishing. That is, I mean, we have met people, right, where they're so fantastic to text, but then when you meet them in real life, they're a dud. And if you think about hookups, talking is a big part of hooking up. It's not just like you meet and you fuck and that's okay. Uh, there's there's a little bit of getting to know each other that's there. There's a little bit of a vibe check that you need to do. So if you're meeting somebody who has personality-wise catfished you, that becomes quite a detriment like they say they like hiking and really they, they don't, don't. They don't. <laughs> like you know you're, you're so smart and you're so quirky on your dating profile yeah Such- or it, it works if both people are pretending to like hiking but neither of them do yeah. like, <laughs> when you are you going to stop telling me that you like hiking or liking sports i'm like yeah, so yeah that's what they're concerned about they're like okay you can abduct me you can murder me but don't catfish me <laughs> it's not what i would have expected but it all falls in line with your research showing that they're looking for more profound relationships. You know, it's also in line with what I've been hearing talk of this term that I've kind of heard recently more on TikTok than anywhere else, but closing the orgasm gap Yes, to say that like women, especially straight women are getting like just a fraction of the orgasms in hookups that men are. And so they're like, close the orgasm gap. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that can only happen to me, that can only happen if you're having some level of meaningful relationship, which doesn't mean like necessarily you, you can just be hooking up, but you have to be 
comfortable with the person. So there is this, as I was reading this literature, I was, I was realizing, you know, why does this orgasm gap exist? Because even, you know, as Gen Z thinks that they are woke and, and, you know, like they're, they're so different than previous generations. Well, your behaviors are showing otherwise because twice as many men said that they experienced an orgasm during penetrative sex compared to women. Um, so the orgasm gap is still there now where does that orgasm gap come from another way to think about orgasms is that orgasms are not the only indicator of sexual satisfaction that's a very like patriarchal way of thinking like if you have an orgasm then then you had good sex um but you may also just like the way your body felt or you may feel closer to the person one of the main indicators or one of the main predictors of you experiencing an orgasm is if your partner reciprocated your or, or if your partner provided oral sex to you. So when I asked uh, straight men, um, your, did your partner perform oral sex on you? 44% of straight men said that yes, my partner performed oral sex on me. 19% women said their partners performed oral sex. And the reason men are averse to performing oral sex is that they perform oral sex on women who they have a meaningful relationship with but women are more conditioned to believe that if you do have sex then you do need to get down on this this person so we have internalized it to that extent so that could also be a reason why this orgasm gap is that is men are more likely to experience orgasms even in casual relationships because women are just apparently freely giving out oral sex uh, oral sexes uh, yeah. but when it comes to going down on a woman the thinking the default thinking is i will only go down on you if i am in a meaningful relationship with you and if i'm not in a meaningful relationship with you then i'll have some resistance going out down on you so men go so, down so even so so even with this kind of big talk that I guess we hear from younger generations, it seems that the patriarchy persists, unfortunately. Yeah, and in very in very uh, in multiple ways, the way women self-censor themselves, especially straight women, you know, LGBT women doing really good. I, I will say to that, like, you know, they are they are experiencing 80 percent gay women, uh, lesbian women uh, experienced orgasm in their last hookup, like compared to 46 percent straight women. So 86 to 46. Can you imagine? So my God, <laughs> that's the it's 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 a huge huge disparity it's a huge disparity so uh, to be honest with you like women in the lgbtq community are truly leading the way in terms of getting experiencing sexual satisfaction and hookups and making hookups count you're trying to measure different levels of meaningful relationships and sexual satisfaction and how you're saying you know an orgasm is not the qualifier of necessarily a good hookup but it is a good indicator and that gap between both men and women and then straight women and women in the lgbtq plus community is vast straight women are really getting the short end of the stick like come on straight women and it's not we cannot listen you know what like i am not the person who's like you are the bane of all my existences straight women also need to get better in self-exploration straight women are also less likely to masturbate why we we need to get to a point where you know flick your bean a little yeah straight women yeah. listening to this i'll try to get sponsored you know down the line by some you know vibrator company or whatever but go find your own or go find a podcast that has a code like <laughs> like uh, uh like you know some some discount codes i would love to get in on that like yeah yeah, yeah. no <laughs> totally totally and and it's interesting because i don't want to ever be perceived as shaming anyone but i do feel on some level like porn and the way that it is um so much of it is so reductive 
is a bit of an issue just because of how it's kind of it, it, it's unintentionally educating people, especially the generation that, that that grew up with access to it from a very young age. And, you know, what looks flashy on a camera is not necessarily going to translate to a great experience with someone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, porn has been a problematic element and 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 young kids are are they know right like they know that this is bad so they're 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 willing to learn but they're also willing to take it with a pinch of salt like with a whole fistful of salt let's say um so um that's there as well because uh i haven't checked it i may just go back to the data and check where men who watched porn were they less likely to go down on a woman versus women who watched more porn were they more likely to go down on a man so i haven't seen that maybe that's like another analysis that i can run well and what i'm wondering is are there are there any men who don't watch porn because i've never i i've never heard of any who, who i don't. i just <laughs> did an analysis for just for christian sex positive men and and i saw that uh within the data set so i was crunching the numbers so i don't know men overall but I think 19% men said that they have never watched porn versus 41% Christian women never watched porn. So I haven't, I've just done my analysis on Christian men and women. So the, the skeptic so. in me wants to see their Google searches. <laughs> <laughs> and compare that to the self-reported. There, there, there's so many caveats, right? And this is all self-reported data, so you really have to take it with a pinch of salt. Where you can you can say things that are desirable, but I would I would ascribe it less because this was all anonymized survey. Um, so they didn't see me, they don't know me. It's all anonymized. So the if if they were giving sexually, I mean, uh, socially desirable answers, so that we would have seen a trend, but like that trend is not that evident. Um, but yeah, women do police them their own selves, right? I mean, when you're talking about like hooking up, they'll use words like, and the rest is history. One thing led to the other, we hooked up, versus men are gonna be like, she gave me head. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, you know, I fucked her. Like, you know, very, very explicit ways of, talking about their sexuality versus women we self-censor so like there's so many ways that we've internalized so much shit emily like we don't even know it's 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 all in our subconscious and the way we get to know it is by like observing behaviors that become an indicator of these biases that we have deep-seated in our psyche yeah well i mean to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation when we were talking about language like that sort of language is a manifestation of this you know complete gap in pleasure people are getting and you know like she did this to me versus well and i guess it happened oh god like yeah. <laughs> though that that language is a way of expressing the data which is showing straight women are not having a good time out there straight women no like straight women, <laughs> yeah it's I mean, like, Dan Savage, Dan, Dan Savage likes to say, um, return any model that doesn't come with head. Like <laughs> if, if that's what you want out of a relationship, you know, whatever, I, I if you don't, you don't. How many straight women will return? Uh <laughs> return them and, and keep them in that pool until they learn their you know what The thing is like, I have also noticed, so I, I asked them questions about their level of sexual disgust. Um, that is, I, I, I send them a whole bunch of, I, I not sent them, like I asked them a whole bunch of statements and I said, how disgusted are you uh, by the scenario? So one of them was like watching a porn video. So on a scale of one to seven, how disgusted are you? And I asked them performing oral sex. 
straight men and women are both disgusted by performing oral sex. Isn't that crazy compared to LGBTQ uh, individuals where they're disgusted, like on a scale of seven, they're disgusted at a level of a three or four, um, and they're still performing it. So like, are we all gay? <laughs> <laughs> But TikTok, TikTok would say yes. Yes, TikTok has convinced me. My FYP is like, listen, you might want to check in on yourself. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> before you pay, stays on lesbian talk or yeah, well, non-straight what... talk. Let's just put it that way. Like, it's, 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 it's a whole situation. You know, talking about these differences between generations, and I look at the way that the younger generations will roll their eyes at us and our archaic views. I look at my friends now with very little kids and I'm like, by the time they are 20, so 20 years ahead, what are they going to be rolling their eyes at? I think that they would, they would shame Gen Z so hard. Listen, so we just, we were, when, when we migrated from like an offline world to an online world, we were still in the same like plane of existence, but now we have the metaverse coming through. Um, when Gen Z will tell their kids that you actually met somebody face to face before meeting their avatar like how crazy is that how crazy is that that you would actually spend time to get to know somebody instead of delegating it to your personal bot like that would be a hard pivot for them so i think i think those are those are the ways in which we might see a transition i think that's something that's happening right now as well um with the way dating apps might change the way we foster personal relationships. Dating apps, the way they work might change. So for example, I, I read this article where this guy automated all his initial conversations on Tinder. And when they automated it and there was some scale in which he understood that, okay, I have X amount of compatibility with this person, then he went in and had a conversation. So we might just be looking at that because that, that guy, that guy sounds like a psychopath to me, but maybe that's the future. The thing is like, think about any, any, any <laughs> effort that we put into anything. Like we're trying to automate the place, which is our pain point. Our pain point in dating apps is I am so much in the talking phase with so many people that I'm not being able to manifest or I'm not being able to get into meaningful relationships. Well, then let's take the talking game out of it, right? I mean, let's automate that so that let somebody else do the talking for you. So you do have online dating surrogates who will do the talking for you and then report back and say, okay, this person seems like the person who you might like, and now you jump in. So a personal assistant in the form of a dating app, absolutely plausible. And you know what? I will get in on that. So it's like, yes, yeah, so it's like let our AI bots in the metaverse do the talking phase. And then once once we get the green light from them, then we can actually meet. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> on either uh, a bright future or a dystopian one. I mean, we are living our, our grandparents' dystopian reality. You know what I'm saying? Like getting yeah. to people's strangers' houses, getting into strangers' cars, going to strangers' places. Like this is no no chaperone. No, no, <laughs> nothing. Like this, we are living boomers' dystopian reality. So of course, of course, our, our next generations are going to live our our dystopian realities. Yeah, we welcome stranger danger. We tell people exactly where we are and where to find. We will put it out to the universe. I will, and they have, and they have the floor plan to our house. That's right. That's exactly right. Right. Just come, 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 yeah, come by it all. <laughs>
Um, well, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, even though this has been so fascinating. So Dr. DT Paul, I just want to, I just want to ask you, like, where can people find you? They can find me everywhere because I, <laughs> I have been infiltrating people's social media for days now. No, they can find me on LinkedIn. My uh, LinkedIn handle is Aditi Paul PhD. My Instagram handle is I am Aditi Paul. My Twitter handle is I am Aditi Paul and my Facebook is Aditi.Paul. And please, if you, if you've liked something that you heard in this conversation and you vehemently disagree with me or you enthusiastically agree with me or you're somewhere in the middle and have questions I would love to get to know you I would love to hear back from you so please reach out to me happy to continue this conversation and thank you so much Emily for having me and all the links will be in the episode description and also the plug to your book yes the current collegiate hookup culture yes the current collegiate hookup culture is out now in Barnes and Noble in, yes. in all these major platforms but if you want to save your money I'm happy to send a free chapter to you if you want to know about how Gen Z is hooking up what are they doing in terms of sugar dating we didn't talk about that but that's also something that they're doing um and the orgasm gap or or all the other crazy things that gen z is doing happy to send you a free chapter so please reach out incredible well you're welcome to come back anytime whether it's talk more about this or for your next book thank you so much for your time today thank you so much emily i'm so excited for your podcast to blow up just like your tiktok because we need your hot takes on everything we need to make everything a whole thing you're too kind um okay well thank you and i'll see you around yep thank you